trade last night to bring in Kyle Clifford and Jack Campbell for Trevor Moore and picks. How important was your relationship with, with the two players involved in terms of getting this deal done? You, you just know their character and you know what they're about. It, it gives you a little bit more security in terms of the type of people that you're you're bringing in. But you know, through I think all of our experiences, whether it's my own, Shani, you do feel a little bit more comfortable when you certainly know the, the quality of the people that you're getting in terms of their character and work ethic. But that doesn't mean anything unless they're, they're good enough to play, which we, we feel that both of them uh, certainly are. And I think a lot of that is circumstantial. They just happen to be on a team that was uh, looking to acquire draft picks and younger players, and uh, we're in the, in the opposite side of it. Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. Rory, it's a big one today. We got the legend. Yeah. Ron McLean is going to join us later in this show. He's going to be talking about Hockey Day the 20th. Hockey Day in Canada, it really has become quite an awesome tradition. And Ron, mm-hmm. as always, very much at the center of that. So we're going to chat to Ron about heading to Yellowknife and uh, everything that will be going on on what is always a, a fun day on the Canadian hockey mm-hmm. calendar. But of course, in February, the hockey date we're talking the most about is the trade deadline. Yes. We've got... A fake trade cooked up. Yep. We've got a real trade to talk about mm-hmm. and a few more hypotheticals. But we have to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I guess just they had seen enough is the easiest Finally. way to, to, to put it. Yeah. The Leafs had to do something. We're going to talk about some other teams that maybe have to do something and some teams that might decide they should really do something mm-hmm. strong based on the way they're sliding and not in a good direction. But Jack Campbell, Kyle Clifford, more guys, Kyle Dubas knows mm-hmm. coming to the lease. Do you think this will solve what ills the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, I mean, I hope so. But Jack Campbell isn't exactly coming here. Hasik. Yeah, he's yeah. not certainly not Hasik. He's not coming here with a long track record of yeah. NHL success. He was the 10th overall draft pick in 2010. And did you know, a little trivia for you here, that... Yeah. Since Carey Price was drafted fifth overall in 2005, the highest drafted goalies are Jack Campbell Mm -hmm. and Jonathan Bernier, 11th overall. There you go. Just goes to show you how we we value uh, goaltending differently than we did around the time of Carey Price when you had Luongo and Fleury going first, fourth, whatever. There's a Russian goalie, Askarov, actually up for this year's draft who's kind of hovering around that 10, 11, 12 zone. He didn't have a very good World Juniors, but... Maybe he'll be the next one. We'll see. But it took Campbell almost a decade to finally get to the NHL. He had a game here and a game there along the way. But last year in L.A. is when he got here and stayed there for an extended period and posted a really good save percentage. He's at 900 this year, though. So that's better than Hutchison, but still is right on that line of, is it going to be good enough for what the Leafs really need right now? And we still don't really know the extent of Freddie Anderson's injury. You're hoping that he's going to be back, but the Leafs do have a back-to-back on Friday and Saturday night. So if Freddie Anderson isn't going to be available for either one of those, you're still probably looking at the likelihood of starting either Hutchison or Kaskasuo in one of those games if you're not going to put Campbell in back-to-back. So they're not out of the woods yet. So I, I don't know. Like, we'll see. He's better than Hutchison, and that's where the start. The interesting part of this trade to me is the Kyle Clifford part. You know, you knew the Leafs needed to do something about backup. We'll see what happens with Campbell. But Clifford... He's not what the Leafs are built on, right? Like, he's not a guy who's going to bring a lot of offense. He's not a flashy player. He's big. He's a guy who will fight. 
He will approach 100 penalty minutes most years than not. And so he's that physical, you know, grit leadership element that the Leafs have long been criticized for not having enough of. And now we're going to see what value it actually brings to this team. And you you hear people from L.A. talk about him and how he's a, he's a strong dressing room presence there. He's won two cups. He's part of the leadership group on that organization for quite a long time now. And I remember... A long time ago, a scout within the Kings organization, no longer there, but at the time he was, and he was talking about Kyle Clifford, and he said they wouldn't trade Kyle Clifford for Steven Stamkos. Now, <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't serious. If they were presented with that offer, they would have taken They'd it. They'd at least think about was, it. That's how much they love this yeah. guy and how important he is to what's going on there. So now, again, now we're going to see... You know, None of this can be quantified. The analytics community won't be able to make heads or tails of this, but... It's going to be interesting to see what impact he does bring to this team. Is Mike Babcock, upon seeing the news <laughs> the Leafs acquired, a backup goalie and a tough guy, yep. did he immediately light up a stogie and say, I told yep. you we should have never got rid of McElhinney, and I yep. told you we had to be tougher? 100%. 100%. I mean, these are things that... You know, we've been we've been talking about for a little bit now. Like, they, you you need toughness. You need a better backup goalie. And here we are, just a couple of weeks from the trade deadline, and and they get it done. And I have to say, the price of acquisition was pretty low. Like Trevor Moore is a, is a nice player. He's a worker bee and all that stuff. He'll fit in well to Los Angeles, but his ceiling had been reached here in Toronto, and he's he's a replaceable player on this lineup. So. That and a couple of thirds, maybe one of them turns into a second, depending on extensions and if they make the playoffs and whatever. Totally palatable and a move that a contender should be making this time. So a move that a contender should be making. I mean, the Leafs absolutely had to do something. I'm curious about other teams that might be in that category of have to do something. And is Arizona one of those teams? Because Arizona kicked off this party with a, a great trade and one that I would say they were roundly applauded for just before Mm -hmm. Christmas, getting Taylor Hall for a quite reasonable price. Here they are. They're still in that jumbled mess of a Pacific. That's still anyone's division, but they are creeping closer to falling on the wrong side of the playoff line. Does Arizona have to do something else here in the next couple years or years, the next couple of weeks before the deadline? Because they haven't made the playoffs since 2012. And we were talking before you brought it up. I've thought this and, and was writing a bit about this in the weekend takeaways. They're this year's Blue Jackets. 100%. Right? 100%. Like, teams are in different, there's a different context for each club. And when you haven't made the playoffs in a small market since 2012, making the playoffs is your cup, right? Yes. And that's what they have to do. You have to show your fans that, you, that you're in this. Like if you get to the point where, say, Arizona is four points out of the playoffs at the trade deadline, then people are going to start wondering, are they going to trade Taylor Hall? And in that situation, you you might have to, but at the same time, it's like you can't backpedal nope. in front of your, your fans like that. I think if they're eight points out, they have to keep them, honestly. And that's I think crazy. So. And, and so you're looking at it now and you're saying, exactly, like you are Columbus. It's almost wherever you are, you're, you've still got to package whatever picks and prospects you can to a certain degree. You're not, to a degree. You're, you're not sending Barrett Hayton That's off right. for a rental. Um, but 
you still have a second round pick. You can probably use that second round pick and get one of these rental players. Yeah. Like Tyler Toffoli isn't going to go for more than a second round pick. You know, you, you can find a way to get in one of those guys. You have to do it. You are this year's Columbus where just throw caution to the wind, add whatever you possibly can to give yourself the best shot. All of Reckman Larson is hurt now. So you got to even look about adding to the back end. Goaltending is, I mean, Kemper is hurt. Like you, you've got tough. uncertainty. It's it, tough. Like he's your goalie. He's your he's goalie. It, and it was very difficult that he basically went out right when Taylor Hall came in. Yeah. So you just have to act exactly like Columbus did. And we were hoping, you know, after last year's deadline, maybe Columbus could be could lead to another team doing something similar next year. Who's that team going to be? This is a copycat league. Someone's got to take that and run with it. And it's obviously Arizona right now. And I hope that that's what they do. Just double down and say, you know, whatever happens, happens. We're, we're in it right but now. But we're going for yeah. it. So a couple teams and one in particular that I think really we're going for this year that it hasn't worked out for Nashville Mm -hmm. to a far lesser degree, Minnesota. But Minnesota was a team worth keeping an eye on because still had designs on the playoffs as those teams continue to fight to get in both on the outside looking in and and Minnesota in more trouble uh, than Nashville. Do you think there could be seismic shifts there if they have a bad stretch here in the next week. Yeah, I mean, a lot of discussion has been had that this could be a soft trade deadline. Not a lot of big names moving, not a lot of action overall. And that has a lot to do with teams like Montreal still looking forward to next year and not wanting to throw in the towel too much that would set them back next season. But you're looking at Minnesota... I mean, it's been a couple of years now where they've, they've just been going nowhere. They're spinning yeah. their, their wheels. Nashville, huge disappointment. Even last year, they backed into first place in that division. They didn't look like the same contender they had been. So you follow that up with this year, and you can imagine David Poyle, again, no, no stranger to making a big deal, is feeling like he's got to do something. And probably more likely bigger things happen in the offseason. That just tends to be how it mm-hmm. works in the NHL. But... If this is going to be a more active trade deadline and bigger names get moved than it seems right now could happen, it's those two teams that kind of unlock it, especially Nashville. You know, Nashville's just got so many guys. You're not going to trade Forsberg and Arvidsson, probably Pecorino, but you've got Craig Smith. You've got you've got Granlund. Can you move one of your defensemen? It, it doesn't seem like they would make a move just to like a tweak mm-hmm. to help their team. It seems like it could be major. They surgery. need to ma- move a Ryan Johansson and keep some salary or something like that to change the feel of the entire lineup because it just hasn't been working for more than a year now. And in Minnesota, it just seems like anybody could go like Matt Dumba's name has been out there yeah. a, a bunch consistently. of consistently and consistent. And that would be a huge, huge trade. Um, but you look up and down, there's all sorts of forwards. Like, do you look at moving Ryan Donato again, who you just traded for last year? Uh, you know, since Bill Guerin took over as GM last summer, he's kind of taken his time. Like he, it happened late. So he ta- he's taken his time to figure out what do we have? What do we need? And obviously this isn't a team that's going to suddenly shoot up and start taking runs at cups. They need a more drastic change than even Nashville probably. And so does it happen at the trade deadline? It's certainly possible. Um, it, those are the two teams that are struggling and just have a number of quality NHL players that they could move out uh, that other teams might find interested. Another Central Division team having some troubles, the Winnipeg Jets. I'm going to try and solve the Jets' issues with one fake trade, and Rory's going to let me know if I accomplish that. <laughs> so stick around. Right here on Tape to Tape.
Griffin for Subban. Draw, save. The rebound. Played across. Brad corrals the puck. Now CC's out of the box. Four defenders on for the Leafs. They score. The Devils do. P.K. Subban. And it's a power play goal to make it 6-4. Welcome back. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a really good chance you are into fantasy hockey. If that is the case, don't forget to sign up for the Sportsnet Fantasy Pool presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. You can win all kinds of cash prizes totaling 50 grand and the grand prize up for grabs a 2020 Ram 1500 Sport. Rory, let's see if you award me any kind of medal for this <laughs> fake trade. P.K. Subban is having a miserable year, mm. miserable year. But he's had nine pretty good ones before this year. Mm-hmm. He's got two years left on his contract after this season. The Winnipeg Jets decimated on the blue line the loss of Truba, Tyler Myers, Ben Sherrod in the offseason, then right before camp, Dustin Bufflin. As we record this, we're not sure what's going on with Bufflin still. A little bit up in the air, but... Certainly starting to feel like he's not going to be someone who plays for the Winnipeg Jets again. Mm-hmm. If the Devils would eat $1.5 million of Subban's $9 million cap it, bringing him down to seven point five. Mm-hmm. If you were the Jets, would you look at giving up Jack Roslevic, mm-hmm. a 2015 first-rounder, kind of squeezed out a little bit there because Definitely. they have such good forwards, really fast guy. Yep. Would you flip him for P.K. Subban and see if P.K. could help pin things down on the blue line? Not just right now, but for the next couple of years. He's still only 30 years old. Yeah, I mean, and Rosovich has, not this year, but in the past, talked about frustration of not getting top six minutes. There's nowhere for him to go in that lineup right now. Maybe there will be in the future, but it's not there right now, and his production hasn't really taken off. It's an interesting trade, but what I come back to is, yes, Winnipeg's blue line has been just destroyed this year and they're giving up more high danger chances top quality chances than any other team in the league is Subban going to help that <laughs> like he's not well, he, you know he, he's more on the offensive end especially is. this and this season especially is just nothing is going right yeah the when he's on the ice the Devils are getting outscored on the power play I mean that's just incredible nothing is happening right for him Maybe it turns around in the last two years of his deal, and he's certainly a, a big name and an impactful player and would be great to watch and all that. I just, for the money, even after the retained salary, for the money that you would have to put forward to bring him in when he doesn't really solve the primary issue on that back end, I don't know if that's worth giving up still a prime young asset in Rosovich for. I always found with Subban watching him most closely when he was with the Canadians, and I be happy to hear the analytics argument on this the thing with him is he while he was the prime candidate to be at the center of a spectacular fail Mm -hmm. he was a good defensive player in terms of being a strong guy who could go back and get the puck and get it moving up I feel like there's a little misconception around him Mm -hmm. in terms of like he's a defensive disaster he's a risk taker there's no two ways about it yes and sometimes those risks blow up in his face but he is still a guy who over the course of his career, has been good in terms of, like I said, he's strong. He can stick that butt out there and kind of keep a four-checker off and move the puck to a forward or a D partner. I just don't buy that we've seen the end. I'd be a little concerned about yeah. foot speed, but I just don't buy that we're at the end here. Me neither. I don't think he's done. This is this is the worst season. He'll have better seasons than this one in the future. I'm I'm convinced of that. I just wonder if, even if he's not, 
really a liability on defense. Do, is do the Jets need a risk taker? Sure. Given the offense, did like, the Leafs need Tyson Berry? You know, same sort of idea. Same, same kind of thing. Yeah. Although they're not giving up the same kind of asset. Like the Leafs really need Nazem Kadri this yes. year, and, and Rosovich wouldn't. His loss wouldn't be as that's acutely right. felt. But I have to say, so you sent me three of these fake trades for the newsletter that's going to go out later on Thursday. This is the one that I was thinking about the most. Was it? Yeah, because it really is interesting. The one thing you worry about when Winnipeg brings in big name players like that is are they going to want to stay after their contract's done? And at least if you get Subban, it's two more years. That's right. So you that that's that's a window that you can work with given the 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 cap can, cap window that you have right now. So yeah, I think I wouldn't do it, but it, that's the one that I was sitting there the longest for. Hmm, maybe I would. All right, well, sign up for that newsletter, and you can check out my other fake trades. I'm sure there will be a couple more in there before the deadline hits. All right, when we return, my conversation with Hockey Night and Canada host, the man, the legend, Ron McLean, right here on Tape to Tape. Now for our overtime segment brought to you by Subway. No joke, Subway now delivers. Joining us this week, very special guest, the longtime host of Hockey Night in Canada. It is Ron McLean. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for allowing me to do it FaceTime. This technology is not the easiest for you, but it just, as you know, on the route to Yellowknife makes it easier. Yes, absolutely. And as you said, on route to Yellowknife, and that's why we want to have you on to talk about the 20th edition of Hockey Day, you have been, or, you know, will have been at all 20. What do you remember about the very first one, the genesis of the idea and the execution of that first one, which was in Toronto? Right outside the CBC Broadcasting Centre. And I remember we prepared a little rink, an outdoor rink, if you can imagine, and it didn't last. It was a puddle by the time we went to air, but it was a beautiful, warm day. John Shannon was longtime producer of Hockey Night in Canada and a colleague of ours on Sportsnet. Uh, it was his idea, and it was just to be a grassroots celebration of the game and a 13-and-a-half-hour marathon broadcast with all the Canadian teams playing and stories of minor hockey and all the ways that we come to hockey, be it blind, sledge, female, male, uh, just the diversity. That was a real idea that John had back in the year 2000. So I remember opening the telecast, and I don't think there was any real great metaphor. Or I mean, we were just going with that basic idea of celebrating community of the game. Uh, but I was standing in the puddle and I had a hockey stick that needn't have been uh, sawed down because there was no way we were going to play any hockey. So I had a, a long shaft of the stick and I began one of the very first interviews with Howie Meeker. And he, Ron, well, first of all, show me that stick you have in your hands. And I said, well, here it is, you know, Howie, and I'm trying to demonstrate the stick. And he says, there's no way you can play hockey with a stick that long. You have to cut at least a foot off that stick if you want to have any hope of stick handling or shooting a hockey puck. That's absolutely a wrong message to send to Canadians if you're celebrating the game of hockey. <laughs> so that's how it started, right? And I thought, you know, the first guest we had, Howie, could have filled, because I thought, how are we going to go 13 and a half hours? And he alone could have filled 13 and a half hours. That's probably what I remember most about year one. So in recent times, of course, the for much of this decade, we've also had hometown hockey on Sundays, which, you know, very much has sort of the same feel. 
I mean, Ron, you're in these communities so much. Can you overstate even what it means to the people there to have, you know, sometimes the Stanley Cup, but just to, just to have this this day or moment with the game and, and the spotlight on their town? You know, I, I haven't heard Johnny Harris's interview on Q that was uh, about his show, uh, where he goes around the country doing comedy routines, and apparently he speaks to the issue of what it takes to go into a, a small town and not be perceived as a jerk. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the very first takeaways that I feel blessed to have been an Air Force brat, uh, lived in Victoria, Mill Cove, Nova Scotia, Halifax, Whitehorse, Red Deer. That's a blessing. So I, I, do, I come at it from, uh, first of all, a great appreciation of the big cities and the big stages, but also uh, a kind of a small-town sensibility, which I think is uh, great. So nobody goes into any of these communities and says, uh, you know, isn't this wonderful, and uh, here come the, you know, kings and queens of the game. Uh, we realize we're all rink rats at heart. That's the that's the really great thing that the NHLers who will join us on site, be it Paul Coffey, Lanny McDonald, or the Olympians like Cassie Campbell-Pascal and Sophie Ambete, uh, they, they realize we're just hockey players. Uh, so it's a very honest exchange that happens but i'll show you this is kind of because we're doing it this way tricky uh, i'll show you a picture of the rink where i started so we'll be in Yellowknife. i started my hockey playing days in whitehorse yukon in the north and that's not that's like you know being from uh, calgary and talking about edmonton it's, sure, it's not sure. it's not good that i bring up whitehorse right. but anyway this was the backyard rink across i'll show you the house this was the house across the street from where i lived does that show very well to you ryan i, I can see it a bit yeah it's kind of like a Quonset hut style steelocks, they called them. This is where the military were housed in Whitehorse, Yukon. It was actually a little community called Hillcrest. And so in behind that little Quonset hut was this rink where I learned to skate when I was four years old. Amazing. So these are, these are photos. Uh, I'm in the middle of this particular shot, a left-hand shot, and that's a bunch of boys. We're all between the ages of four and ten years of age. There's another shot of that backyard rink in Whitehorse, Yukon. And what I remember vividly is that we would take breaks to eat the snow. That was our water bottle. And we would actually take the uh, balsam or sap off of the trees, which surrounded the rink. And it was chewing gum to us. It was a, a fantastic, flavorful chewing gum. Wow. And then this is the family. Uh, so when we were doing Rogers Hometown Hockey in Winkler, this is uh, Alphonse and Pauline Clement. It was the Clements Backyard Rink. Their boy uh, invited me across the street, him and a boy named Dwight Riondo. And that's where I learned to skate. So to see them again... Like, I was four years old when I was on Bob Skates, and I'll be 60 in April. Uh, but they're still going strong down in Winkler, Manitoba, which is a – or Steinbeck, Manitoba, which is a great hockey community. And, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's a very simple six degrees of unification. I'll get my small town shout-out in. I grew up in Mount Bridges, but also worked uh, close oh. to Steinbeck there in Portage La Prairie as well. So certainly know how much the Manitobans love it. Well, I went to I went to your rink in Mount Bridges. Yes, we I heard. Doing... Well, we know Ron. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I saw Cody McCormick. Funny enough, was coaching at the uh, Dream Gap Tour for the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, who are going around touring right now. And saw Cody's beautiful sweater mounted on the arena wall, and Jason Williams' sweater mounted on the arena wall. And got to spend some time with the kids in the dressing rooms at Mount Bridges. And yeah, that's hockey, right? And if there's nothing. Nothing crazy about it. You know, we could have all just gone across the street to Tim Hortons and and just told hockey stories till the end of the time. 
You mentioned you, you started skating when you were four years old. You're still playing beer league. You're uh, consuming tons of hockey. You're sitting in close proximity to people who've played the game. You're uniquely positioned to talk about this sport. What do you see in today's game that really jumps out positively or negatively to you? And, and also, obviously, with the official background, but what kind of pops to you today about where the game is at the NHL level? And, and do you have any concerns that stand out? No, I think we all worry a little bit about the costs, you know, again, to make the game accessible. Uh, that That's the only, I would say, issue that's always kind of as a backdrop because clearly a lot of the great players now have been uh, products of academies, sports uh, uh, either camps or academies where they have that extra time on ice and that isn't for everybody. So that that would be my only concern and, and we have to keep looking at ways to address that and certainly in many different organizations, whether it's Canadian Tire Jumpstart or... Uh, the Messier's program, uh, first step skate, um, you know, all those ideas are great. And, and that's, that's the only concern I have as far as the actual on ice product. I don't know how you feel Ryan, but I just, I'm spellbound by the ability to handle the pocket speed. It used to be in the day, a lot of the great stick handlers or dipsy doodlers did that. And then the great skaters sort of, uh, went around and there was not too many could do both. That was kind of the, the exception to find somebody that could stick handle at speed. And it seems now that just about everybody can. You know, you hear a lot about everybody can shoot the puck, which is true. And that might be more a product of technology. But the actual uh, time spent uh, working on skill development that has led to these, uh, you know, Connor McDavid, again, in the Battle of Alberta that was staged on a, a Wednesday night here on January the 29th, uh, just watching him skate backwards. Uh, almost at the speed he skates forwards, uh, that was for me, uh, you know, it's jaw-dropping. And so you look at his contract, let's say, and I, I remember people boiling it down when he signed, which he's, I feel he's way underpriced. I think he could have, you know, it probably cost him $50 million to sign for $100 million, but that's just the nature of the cap. Anyway, people would equate that $100 million with point production, but honestly, every rush with him is worth the price of admission. So I don't use the metric of points, goals, assists, or even wins to say what his worth is. Uh, his entertainment value yeah. is his stick handling and his unbelievable speed. So speaking of games, we heard a rumor that at the pickup game last year in, um, was it Swift Current? Um, yes. Of course. We heard a rumor you were the last selection, Ron, and uh, I just want to know how you're feeling going into uh, into the game this year. Do you hope to go a little higher, or are you going to get the Phil Kessel treatment again? I know. I hope they do what they did for Phil, and that is to start to award a car to the person who gets selected last. Uh, yeah, no, that you can imagine with the, the cast that we go out each and every year, and they're sick of me, so they they made they put me in my place. If I'm supposed to be the uh, the curator of the week, uh, it doesn't take long to get a sense of humility, which is what hockey does better than anything. Uh, the, the the gift of hockey is that once you enter the dressing room, you're stripped of rank, class, everything. And I, I enjoyed going last, of course, and got to play uh, – that game is, I remember Rob Brown was one of my favorite memories when we did the game in Kamloops. He says, Ron, if I give you the puck, give it back immediately. I didn't mean it. And <laughs> the guys have a lot of fun keeping you, uh, keeping you humble. All right. Well, enjoy yourself again in Yellowknife. We always love tuning in and, uh, you know, you do such a great job of connecting the viewers to, to what's going on and pulling them in. So we look forward to that once again. Thanks so much for your time today, Ron. Honor, Ryan. Cheers. That is Ron McLean of Hockey Night in Canada. What a treat to have Ron on. Of course, check out Hockey Day in Canada this Saturday on Sportsnet. Check it out also on CBC. It is always a great time. That's it for this week. For myself and Rory, check back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.